Welcome to the New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. Thanks for listening today. You can find our podcast at nllutheranpodcast.com. You can subscribe on Podbeam, Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play Music. If you have any questions for Pastor Eric or would like to suggest topics for our podcast, you can email Pastor Eric at erik.anderson at nllutheran.com. Once again, dads, uh, thank you so much for the impact that you've made. We appreciate you so much. And we appreciate all men who have made an impact in our life. Because isn't it true that even if we didn't have a dad or we had a biological dad, that there's other men in our lives that have made an an amazing impact in in our lives, right? It might have been a foster dad. It might have been a teacher or coach or mentor, someone who took on that fatherly role and really shared life with us and and helped to move us in the right direction. Maybe it was simply an author or speaker who allowed us to move forward in life. They shared those life lessons. I I was lucky enough to have a great dad growing up. I still have a great dad. And and many times he shared those life lessons with me. Now, I'll say he's not perfect, right? He's not a perfect man. And there's plenty of stories that I could share to prove that point. But I'm a little concerned he's probably watching right now, so I'm not gonna share the stories at this point in time. And I hope that someday when my kids have a similar opportunity where they're on the internet or TV or whatever it might be at that point in time, that they offer me that same grace. But there's, there's one specific story that has been rattling around in my mind this week, a moment when my dad taught me a life lesson. And here's the thing, it happened in the strangest of places. It happened inside a Toys R Us. Now, if you know anything about Toys R Us, that is the place we, where we are not supposed to grow up, right? We're not supposed to mature, and we're definitely not supposed to learn life lessons, right? It's just a place to be a kid. In fact, you probably know the mantra if you're my age or older, right? I, I don't want to grow up. I'm a Toys R Us kid. There's a million toys at Toys R Us that I can play with, from bikes to trains to video games. It's the biggest toy store there is. I don't want to grow up because if I did, I wouldn't be a Toys R Us kid. Now, if you're younger than me, you're thinking this guy is an absolute lunatic right now. But if you're my age or older, guess what you were doing? You were singing along to my quote, the mantra of Toys R Us, which tells us not to grow up. So I found myself when I was in about an elementary school in Toys R Us with my dad. Now, if you don't know what Toys R Us is, right, you're younger and you're thinking, well, what is this? Why is it significant? Imagine a Walmart, okay, a, a big box store. Imagine a Walmart. If I took out all the boring stuff, right, no more clothes, no more shampoo, no more deodorant, no more landscaping stuff, no more food, right? We took all that stuff out to make space for toys, Just a whole store of toys. That's what Toys R Us was. And my dad brought me there, right? Just wall-to-wall toys. It was amazing. And we found ourselves in the remote control section, right? The remote control car section specifically. And as we looked around, it was just wall-to-wall cars, right? All the remote control cars you could ever, ever want. And one caught my attention. It was black and it had big rubber tires and big springs. I mean, it looked like it was built to go fast and take jumps. It was awesome. 
And like most awesome things, they're awesomely expensive. And this was the case. And so I knew it was never going to fly. I knew we were never going to get that. And so I began to look for something cheaper, right? Something more realistic. And so I stumbled onto a car that looked identical. In fact, it was identical, except for one feature, which made it quite a bit more affordable. You see, it wasn't wireless, like you think of remote control cars. It had a cord that went from the remote that you used to drive it to the car. It was six feet long, which made it way more affordable. And so I, I showed my dad, you know, trying to get the car of my dreams with maybe a sacrifice or two. And he said, well, this is what we're going to do. If you want to, I will buy you this one car today, the one with the cord, because we can afford that today. But if you wait and, and we store up some resources, right, then we can take that money and, and I'll get you the wireless one, the one that you probably really want. And he gave me the option. So guess what I did? You already know I made the exact wrong choice. I walked out of that store, the proud owner of a corded remote control car. I got it home, I put the batteries in and I took it out and I quickly learned the error of my ways because you had to run behind this thing to allow it to go fast. And what I found out was as you were running behind it, sometimes you would step on the cord and then the car would flip and it would scratch and it just wasn't a great experience. When you were tired and you were running behind it, if you weren't running as fast as the car, it would run out ahead of you. It would hit the end of the cord and it would stop, flip, and, and fall over. And so quickly, my joy turned to sadness and regret. I put it in my closet. And every time I looked at that car, I remembered this life lesson. That if you're going to invest in something, make sure that investment is good. Make sure that investment has, has long-term value. Now, right now, if you're a ministry staff member or you're a leadership team member, you're thinking, oh, this makes sense. This is why he is the way he is. Yeah, you can blame my dad if you want to, but that's what dads do, isn't it? They, they teach you these lifetime life lessons that you can hold on to and learn from it and put them into practice when you grow up or put them into practice in your life right away. And that's why all throughout scripture, God is referred to as, as father in the purest sense of the form, right? He teaches us life lessons about this life. And he also teaches us about the next life. And so as we continue our sermon series, Unmasked, and we step into part three in the book of Matthew, we're gonna see that God is gonna teach us about proper investment. In fact, this is what Jesus says. Beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them. So here's your disclaimer, here's your warning for today's sermon. We will be talking about money. And, and right now you're thinking, hey, this is great. Because for the first time in my entire life, when the pastors talk about money, guess what? I'm not actually in the room. I'm watching it on my phone, I'm watching it on my computer, I'm watching it on my TV, I'm playing it through my DVD player. And so all I have to do right now is swipe up to get rid of that app, right? Close out that app. I can hit power on my computer, I can change the channel on my TV, or I'll just simply, simply hit the stop button on my DVD player. Because the last thing that I want to do is listen to another sermon from a, a money-grabbing pastor. Now, if you feel that way, if that thought snuck into your mind, you're actually not alone. 
You see, the truth is, as we unmask how the world sees Christians and how the world sees churches, a lot of times they have this, this same tension. They think, isn't the church just trying to take my money? Isn't that pastor just trying to get rich? Well, that's the conversation we're going to have today. And we're going to hear it directly from Christ's mouth. Once again, this is what he said, right? He said, beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them. You see, Jesus understands humanity inside and out. And, and this is what he knows about the human condition. We are naturally selfish. We're naturally selfish. Which means in every situation, our natural question that we ask is, well, what is this going to do for me? Right? What benefit do I get? And so when we have this conversation about worshiping through giving, right, tithes and offerings and things of that nature, just generosity, when we, when we talk about that, our question is, well, what do I get, right? What's the benefit of me giving my money away? Now you might be thinking, well, I, I kind of know some of the benefits, right? If you, if you give a big offering, right, then you look good, right? Maybe you leave that check face up or, or people know, like maybe you kind of have these murmurings or you kind of gossip about it. Like you, you know who the big giver is and you're kind of making sure that people know you're the big giver or know that you're really generous, and so it makes you look good, right? Maybe that's a benefit. Or maybe you've been around the church for a long time and you've had a lot of influence, but now your, your influence is kind of waning, right? Other people have the influence. And you're thinking, if people only knew the sacrifices that I've made, if people would have known how much money that I, I've given or I'm giving right now, uh, surely I can get my influence back. Or maybe you think, I've, I've never had influence. I really want influence. I kind of want power. And so if people knew that I was giving a lot, maybe I, I should give a lot and then I can, I can get that power, right? I, I can tell the leadership team what to do or not to do. I can talk to the ministry staff. I can sit down in the pastor's office and make sure that he, he preaches and teaches and, and does what I want him to do because I, I'm the big donor, right? Or I'm a big donor, right? You see how that natural human condition creeps in is, is what is the benefit that, that we get? But what does Jesus say? He says, don't let people see it. And then we run into the problem, don't we? You see, if people can't see our generosity, then, well, how am I going to be praised? How am I going to be lifted up? If people can't see my generosity, then how am I going to, you know, maintain that control? Or how am I going to get control? Right? It's not doing anything for me. And that's exactly the point, Right? Generosity is not about us, but as Christians, we have that natural default setting of what does this offer me? And that's why Jesus says this, for then you have no reward from your Father in heaven. You see, what Jesus is saying here is, is if you practice your piety, right, if you, if you worship in this way, if you're very generous, if you do all the good things and people notice it, then you've already gotten your reward. And because you've gotten your reward, then there's no need for God to give you a reward. But there's no space for that. If we flip this conversation, we, we see the logical conclusion that there actually is a benefit. It's probably not just the benefit that, that we naturally think of. You see, what Jesus is saying is, if we are generous, right, if we worship in this way, if we live out our lives in this way, if we turn our hearts towards God, if we do this, 
And we don't seek some sort of accolades or some sort of power or some sort of benefit. Then there's a reward in heaven. You see what Christ is saying? You can get a, a temporary, right? You can get a temporary reward or you can get an eternal reward. You see how this looks a lot like buying a remote control car? If you act now, you can get a corded car and you'll be happy for about two seconds. Or you can get what you really want and what you really need and you can have it forever. You see, Jesus wants us to invest in the eternal. And so he continues the conversation. He says, so whenever you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be praised by others. So he says, when you give, right? That's the wrong way to give. What, when you give, you know, do it privately. Don't, don't, don't play a trumpet. Now, I love how he says this. He says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, right? It's just, obviously, it's not a thing that we can actually pull off. He says, don't play a trumpet, right? Don't draw attention to yourself. I want you to imagine this scenario. I want you to imagine it's Christmas Eve here at New Life. And as you know, if you've been to a Christmas Eve service here at New Life, it is packed. Wall to wall people. Every seat is filled. People are standing in the back. I mean, people are just jammed in here. And we take offering. Right, we have that time to, to worship through giving. Imagine the plate going back and forth and it gets to about the, the fourth row and all of a sudden it just stops. And this guy has this big case with him and he opens up the case. He, he opens up inside is this trumpet. He cleans it out and he just blows the trumpet as loud as he can. And everyone, of course, looks right at him. And then he writes a check while everyone's watching him, trying to figure out what he's doing, holds it in the air, waves it around, puts in the offering plate, and then hands it on. Well, what is every person going to do? They're going to look at that check, and they're going to stare at that person. He's drawn all the attention to himself, because that's what the trumpet is supposed to do, right? The, the trumpet announces that someone's important, or at least self-important, right? Think about a king. When the king enters the room, what happens? You play the trumpet, and you say, we now announce the king of whatever, right? The duke of, the earl of, you know, fill in the blank. But, but what we're saying is, hey, this person is in, important. This person's important. And we naturally turn our attention to them. In fact, in our modern society, this happens all the time with our celebrities, right? It doesn't take very long for you to follow a celebrity on Instagram or Facebook or be watching TV. And when they do a good deed, maybe they, they donate to a cause or, or feed the poor or something. Of course, these are good things. Right? These are good things that they're using the resources that God has allowed them to have to benefit the world. These are very good things. But the question is, what's the motivation of their heart? Now, maybe in their purest of intentions, their intentions, they're trying to draw focus to the cause. Right? They're trying to put that focus on the cause. Right? That's, that's the pure motive there. But I'd say because of our natural bent as, as real humans, right, to think, what is the benefit that I offer? I have to imagine that it's kind of like an advertisement piece, right? Look at me, look how good I am. I donated this much to this cause. And normally the numbers are very big because they make a lot of money, right? Look how much I've donated to this cause. And, and what does Jesus say? They will be praised, right? They will be praised and then they get praised, right? They're trying to draw your attention to them and it works. In fact, this is how Jesus describes it. He says, truly I tell you, they have received their reward. 
He says they're going to get a reward. Right? When they give big money and, and they hold it up and, and they make sure everyone sees, they're going to get a reward. Right? People are going to hold them high. Right? right? They're so generous. They're so giving. You know, and, and people just really praise them, and, and maybe rightfully so. Right? They are generous and they are giving, but what's the motive behind it? You see, a lot of times, I believe, I believe it's, hey, I want to make sure that people remember me. I want to make sure that I hold on to my popularity. I want to make sure that I can sell tickets at uh, the bookstore, at the sports arena. You know, I want to make sure I sell tickets at the box office, whatever that is. I, I got to keep my name up there, and so I would need to publicize how good I am so people will like me. In the same way, the same is true of us. Right, you, you probably could be a big donor at a church and, and you could have your name held high if you made it public, right, if people knew. And people would celebrate you and celebrate your generosity. And if you felt like you were losing power or you wanted to uh, justify your influence, you, you could be a big donor and you'd probably get it, to be honest. You'd get some more influence. That's just the reality of our world. And if you wanted to gain power or, or be able to tell people what to do, yeah, just, just drop a check and, and you're going to have that opportunity. But what Jesus is saying here is, listen, they have received their reward. This reward is fleeting. This reward is, is only for this life. It's just temporary. But Jesus wants so much more for you. So he goes on. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your alms may be done in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So Jesus has worked through all these ways that we shouldn't give, right? We shouldn't make it about ourselves. We shouldn't draw attention to ourselves. Instead, he, he says this, when you give, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Now, of course, that's an impossibility. But, but the focus is this, do it in secret. Because when you, when you do it in secret, guess what? It doesn't allow that default of our human nature to say, hey, what does this benefit me? What do I get out of this? If you do it in secret, guess what? You don't have your name held high. You don't justify your power and, and you don't get power, right? You don't get the benefit. So, so what is the benefit? You're pouring all of that into Christ. You're pouring all that into God's work. And what does it say? Your heavenly father, he will realize this and he will reward you. You will have an eternal reward. And isn't that freeing? Isn't that wonderful? That the God who knows everything also knows your heart and also knows your motives? That, that isn't that freeing that you don't have to impress the person beside you? That really you truly have an audience of one? One person, one God, one ruler, one king to impress? And he promises to reward you. And so Jesus continues. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. So he continues to set up this contrast, right? There, there's the temporary and there's the eternal. And the temporary looks like this, right? Everything falls apart. Everything decays. And we get this because we work really hard to buy things that don't last, that never end up bringing us joy, to impress people we don't like. That's the reality of being a human. That's the reality of this world. We pour all of our energy and all of our time, all of our resources into things that eventually will go away. But Jesus has something so much better for us. 
This is what he says. But store for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. You see the contrast here? The contrast is you can pour all of your time and energy into things that will ultimately fall apart and will not bring you joy and not bring you happiness, or you can make a better investment. You can invest into something that's going to have a huge return. You can invest into something that lasts. Now, if I were your stockbroker and I said, hey, look, here's your options. I have two stocks for you. This one you can buy, but slowly over time, it's just going to lose its value. Or this one, you, you can invest into, and over time, it will always be there for you. You will not lose money. In fact, you will gain money. Which one will you invest into? Well, that's a, a no-brainer, right? And, and that's, the, that's the contrast that Christ is setting up. Hey, don't put all your focus and all your investment into this life because it's going to go away. But put all of your focus and all your investment into something that lasts. But Jesus has more for us. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, after he gets us on the right track of understanding how this world works, right? There's temporary and eternal. And he tries to remove that idea of, hey, what do I get out of this? And and so we don't get caught in that that sinful default of of selfishness. He says, if you invest into the eternal, you're going to get a reward someday. But right here, he changes it almost like he knows that we're ready for it now. He says, look, you're going to get a benefit today too. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, Jesus doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. He wants you to experience life change. And the truth is, we can find out where our hearts are really, really easy, can't we? I mean, if we just do some simple accounting, we can figure out what we value, what we cherish, what we're passionate about, even though we kind of know it already. But sometimes it's, it's good to just take an assessment. It's good to take an assessment of, of what's ruling over my heart. Where's my heart really at? And during this crisis, during this COVID-19 crisis, you probably come to grips with a few of those things. Because when things get taken away and we feel that tension and we feel that loss, we realize that we really liked those things. We put a lot of value into those things. And so it's an easy way to check where our heart is. You see, all we really have to do is put something in there and say, okay, if I take it away, if I take it away, how will I feel? It gives us a good indicator of where our heart is. Think about it. I don't have a drinking problem. Okay, let's take the drinks away and see what happens. How do you feel? I don't have a shopping addiction. Okay, let's just close out your Amazon account for a while and, and we're not going to go shopping. And we feel the tension. How about this? I don't have an unhealthy focus on sports. Okay, let's just take it away and see how you feel. You see how we can get wrapped up in these things? And you see how a simple test is just to remove those things from our life and see how we feel? Now, there's a lot of things in our life. There's a lot of things in our life. But if you're having a hard time kind of understanding where your heart is, just take it away and see how you feel. See, this is what Jesus knows. In our life, we either be ruled by God or ruled by stuff. That's why he closes with this. No one can serve two masters, 
For a slave will either hate the one (coughs) and love the other, or to be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. So Jesus is 100% clear. The reality is, the human condition is this. We will be ruled by something. The question is, what will we be ruled by? Will God have our hearts? Our loving Father who loves us more than we love ourselves? Or will stuff have our heart? Will it be money or the things that we pour our money into? What will be in charge of you? So let's get back to our original question. Is God a money grabber? Right? Is God a money grabber? Does he need our money? Is that what this conversation is all about? Is that why he writes about money so often in the scripture? Is that what we're, we're talking about? And of course, the answer is no. Because God doesn't need our money. He owns everything. See, God's not a money grabber. God is a loving father. He's a loving father who wants to teach you a life lesson. Now I can see where you can be in agreement on that, right? I get that. God loves me. He's a loving father. But, but what about the people he's left behind? All right, how about his church and the pastors that lead those churches? Aren't they kind of money grabbers? I mean, we hear these stories, right? We hear these stories about the pastor who has this big mansion and he flies around in a private jet and he's got season tickets to the bulls. Yeah, the truth is there's people like that that exist. To be honest, I, I don't know a single pastor like that. Most of us, the reality is, is that we have big dreams and few resources. We have big dreams and few resources. That's the same with the church. Churches typically have big dreams to reach their community, but very few resources to work with. On a personal note, I got to tell you, I feel incredibly blessed because I have a home to live in and I have a car to drive. I feel rich beyond measure. And for the rest of the world, that's how they would see me, rich beyond measure. So when we have these conversations, understand that your well-meaning pastor, that he loves you and he cares for you. That's why we're having this conversation. It's not because our bank account at church is low because it's not because you guys have been incredibly generous during this time. It's not because I want a raise, because I don't need one, and I don't want one. It's not because we have to pay off the mortgage because we don't have to pay off the mortgage. But I will say this, if you want to write a check today and pay off our mortgage, that would be amazing. And it would really help the next generation. But the point is not these things. The point is to share with you from the heart of Christ, because these are Christ's words. They're not mine. And this is the truth. God doesn't want your money, but he does want your heart, which means this. God is not a money grabber. The church, when it's not motivated by selfishness, which I would say is most of the time, is not a money grabber. Your pastor is not a money grabber, even though there are a few exceptions out there. But this is what Christ is, and this is what we aim to be as a church and as pastors and as leaders. We don't want to be money grabbers, We want to be treasure givers. Because the truth is this. There is something in this world that will rule over you if you let it. It's money. And the things that that money can buy. And and it quickly becomes a God in our life. But you know the number one solution for getting rid of that God and that ruler in our life is generosity. Is worshiping through giving. It's your tithes and offerings where you put God back in the number one slot. So dads, this part is for you. 
right? So if you haven't paid attention the whole time, dads, I, I want you to lock in and, and, and understand something. Don't live your life for money, right? Don't fall in love with money. Don't put all your focus on money. And don't put all your focus on working. Don't put all your focus on working because here's the truth. The best investment that you can make into your family does not come with a dollar sign. You see, your parenting, your fatherhood, it will not be defined by what you buy. It will be defined by what you give. Lady,